Hello and welcome to our webinar on the future of 5G deployments in federal government agencies. My name is Kirsten Patton and I'm the working group manager at ATARC and I will be the moderator for this session. Today we are going to address successful applications of 5G, top priorities within agencies for the upcoming year in regards to 5G deployments, and lessons learned to date with 5G initiatives that may help government colleagues and industry leaders working on these issues. Welcome to all of our attendees. Thank you for being here today with us, and please remember to utilize the Q&A chat at the bottom of your screens, and I will be sure to get through your questions during this webinar. I would like to now introduce our panelists. On our panel today, we have Joshua Weaver, the Senior Systems Engineer at Navy, Christian Williams, Wireless Mobility Solutions at GSA, Justin Morgan, Solutions Architect at GSA, Chase Cunningham, Principal Analyst at Forrester, Bill Harrod, Federal CTO at Mobile Iron, and Kevin McFadden, Senior Business Solutions Architect at Cisco Systems. So we have a great lineup today. Um, I would like to begin by going through each panelist and give you all about two minutes or, or so to share your brief thoughts on 5G. Um, can we please get started first with Joshua Weaver? Good afternoon, yeah, as uh, Kirsten mentioned, my name is Joshua Weaver. I'm a civil servant telecommunications engineer for the Navy. Uh, for the past year and a half or so, I've been supporting uh, OSDs um, 5G to next G program. Um, and I've been involved with uh, 5G for you know, pretty much since the department started looking at it. I was an advisor to the Defense Science Board. Um, so we at the DOD, we think uh, 5G really represents a, uh, a series of opportunities as well as uh, additional risks. So uh, that's some of what we're trying to, uh, to explore, which we'll get into a little bit more a little bit later. Thank you so much, Joshua. I'm in Christian Williams. Hi, hello, and thank, thank you, uh, Kirsten. Uh, my name is Christian Williams, as uh, Kirsten mentioned. I'm, I'm the Wireless Mobility Solutions Program Manager at GSA. And um, I just wanted to give a few thoughts from a government perspective on uh, 5G. Um, you know, wireless is being adopted as a way to improve our workforce mission and responsiveness to the country we serve. Um, as you know, a new generation of public servants are coming into our workforce and, and all they know are smartphones. So I think, so we feel that agencies must leverage 5G technology in a new and innovative way to improve their mission outcomes. And as this is especially important in this time of teleworking, uh, we know 5G will enhance and, and speed, enhance speed and coverage and responsiveness in wireless networks. Um, just, just looking at some of the use cases that are being done over uh, the different avenues and aspects, uh, talking about smart warehouses, virtual reality, um, also self-driving vehicles. It's, it's just very interesting to see. And just from my personal perspective, I, I'm, interest, I'm interested to see how 5G is going to go uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry for surgeries and telemedicine and uh, public safety, uh, natural disasters and cont continuity of planning. And also, uh, I'm a, actually a Navy reservist, so I'm interested to see how 5G is going to affect the military going forward when it comes to enhanced radar systems, uh, ships in the fleet, and military aircraft. Thanks, Kirsten. Thanks so much, Christian. Next, we'll hear from Justin Morgan. Yeah, hi, and good afternoon, folks. Yeah, I, I also work with Christian and in the uh, Office of Telecommunications Services uh, under the IT category. And my uh, particular focus is more so with the service providers, um, mainly with the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Contract or EIS, and how we will develop market and things like that solutions for a new 5G transport or a enhanced 5G transport so becomes more ubiquitous. So. My, my focus more so is going to be on the telecommunications, the backend infrastructure, the overall security, and things like that. So that's the perspective more so I'm going to be taking things with as we move through this 5G journey here at GSA. Thanks, folks. Thanks, Justin. And now we'll hear from Chase Cunningham. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, this is one of those instances where the technology is, is awesome. Like the applications are amazing. There's everything from healthcare to unmanned aerial vehicles to like, you name it, millimeter wave technology is going to be cool. And it's great that we maybe we can be able to 
download a movie in like 30 seconds while we're at the you know uh, stadium or something. However, uh, I, my, my concern is that we're doing basically internet 2.0 here. And the problem with that is we've rushed to market with lots of cool technology that does things really, really fast. And we are continuing to expedite the process for getting stuff out to market so people can use it. And then at the very end of it, years later, we go, uh oh, wait a minute, like we need to figure out how to secure this. And by then, we are way down the rabbit hole trying to fix a problem that we have uh, basically painted ourselves into a corner. So, um, you know, I, I think that there are some really valid concerns with where we're getting the technology, how it's being put in, the depth that it is sort of core to this infrastructure and the, the side of that. Um, but, you know, I agree with everybody like this is this is super. It's very useful. It's going to be necessary. Um, we do need to take a bit of a pause and be more cautious about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and the uh, uh, connectivity that's being afforded to you know folks that may not necessarily need it or um, should be allowed to have access to it. Thanks, Chase. Next, we'll hear from Bill Harrod. Thank you, Kirsten. So I agree with uh, with Chase particularly, but I think. Um, you know, Justin, others have said, uh, we really need to talk a little bit about how do we secure the new 5G technology. Um, 5G basically comes in three flavors. So there's the, the low band where 4G operates today, uh, sort of the mid band and, and then um, high band or the millimeter wave, as was mentioned. Um, and so there are um, different controls, but I think we can look to um, how do we protect uh, our enterprise, our data? Um, really, how does 5G tie in with a zero trust architecture model? Um, and how do we begin to put the effective security controls in place uh, to manage uh, 5G technology um, and, and be cautious about it um, and, uh, and have a strategy for it um, before we let the genie out of the bottle? Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about the national strategy in a few minutes um, and how to do that effectively uh, and what some of the caveats might be. Thanks, Kirsten. Awesome. Thank you. And last but not least, uh, Kevin McFadden. Hi, good afternoon, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Kevin McFadden. I'm with Cisco Systems. I've been with uh, Cisco for about 20 years. And throughout that time, uh, I've actually had an opportunity to work with a lot of government customers on this call and others. Uh, looking at uh, a lot of uh, mobile communications, actually, as we saw 4G start to come into play, land mobile radio and its evolution, and now 5G, uh, we've been really here at Cisco looking at a lot of different things to help our customers transform and to understand how to use the right wireless technology and the right use case. So I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I agree with everything my colleagues have mentioned so far, I'll just throw in, you know, one of the biggest drivers is this idea and motion towards industrial 4.0 and how we're gonna digitally transform. So if you look at the number of uh, consumers in cellular and mobile technology today, you see that a lot of us as private citizens and even as, as uh, you know, uh, part of the, uh, the, the mobile uh, workforce are using them individually. What we're gonna see is a major change and shift over the next five years to how wireless technology, particularly 5G, can really transform our business, changing the way we're doing things like logistics and supply chain, uh, I'm going to pick on some of the ones that Josh was probably more focused on with the uh, the OTAs, uh, just because that's an area of focus for us. But things like supply chain, logistics, even advanced training with AR, VR, being able to make our, uh, our forces more capable, more ready, more familiar with the environment by actually showing them what that environment looks like before they get there. A lot of great use cases and things that we hadn't even thought of before. So it's not just about bandwidth. It's going to be about being able to deliver new use cases faster and more readily. And so I think that's pretty exciting. And I, I totally agree. It has to be wrapped in with the idea of cybersecurity and how we can make sure that it's not only accessible, but also properly uh, available and uh, secure, secured. Excuse me. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, I don't see any questions in the Q&A chat coming up yet. So for those who are just dialing in, be sure to uh, ask your questions and we'll make sure to address them throughout the panel. But that being said, um, 
Can the panelists please elaborate more on the national 5G policy strategy and security economy and global competition from White House, Congress and federal government agencies? Um, I would like to start this off with Bill Harrod, if you don't mind. Sure, Kirsten. Um, and uh, do you have the, the slides that we were going to use? Yes, we do. They will be up momentarily. Great, thanks. So I think the, the thing to talk about around the, the national strategy is that um, in March of this year, the Executive Office of the President issued the national strategy uh, to, to secure 5G. Uh, and it basically lays out four pillars or four major initiatives that define the strategy. Um, the first one to facilitate a domestic rollout of 5G. Um, the United States, as with much of the rest of the world, um, is resource constrained around available cellular spectrum. Um, so we need to free up some of that spectrum in order to accelerate the rollout of 5G. Um, the FCC will play a significant role in that. And they have recently um, started to free up some of the crucial mid-band spectrum um, formerly used by DOD um, that was used for radar. They're also freeing up spectrum that was formerly used by GPS. Um, and the Federal Communication Commission's FAST plan uh, will speed up the, the infrastructure review of 5G technology um, and facilitate some of the domestic rollout. Um, the second pillar is to assess the, the risks and the identity core, um, the, the security principles, the core security principles um, of that 5G infrastructure. Uh, the U.S. is committed to identifying the risks and developing a comprehensive security strategy. Um, and this is where we see the convergence between the zero trust security framework uh, and effective controls for securing 5G. Now, one of the really critical issues is the ability to effectively and consistently enforce those controls um, and the policies that will surround 5G security. Um, and as, uh, as we've already mentioned, this is gonna be a, a significant piece of the national strategy. The third pillar is to address risks to the United States economic and national security, um, particularly during development and deployment of 5G. Um, and, and this is really focusing on uh, resilience, contingency planning, um, and some of that supply chain risk, which we've seen quite a bit of uh, discussion around. How do we put in place effective regulations and policies uh, to ensure connectivity, to identify and remediate risks? Um, and how do we identify and remediate those risks uh, especially from untrusted 5G equipment. And this is where we really have talked about um, the, uh, the clear path or the clean path um, and being able to identify manufacturers uh, of equipment like Huawei and ZTE. Um, the Department of Commerce has made a concerted effort um, to eliminate not only untrusted network from the US 5G network, um, but also to ban chipsets uh, and semiconductors from untrusted sources, um, and to convince our allies to do the same. Uh, as a result, the UK has recently revised their position uh, and will no longer allow untrusted technologies uh, on UK 5G networks either. And then the last pillar is really to promote uh, responsible global development and deployment of 5G. Um, the Department of State has mapped out uh, a clean path strategy and partnered with uh, select clean technology and, and 5G telecommunication providers. Um, and the Department of State strategy um, really incorporates six areas of clean network technology. Um, and so, uh, Kristen, we should be on, Kirsten, we should be on that Department of State slide. Okay, awesome. I'm gonna transition with my screen share real quick. Um, there we go. All right. Um, so Department of State's incorporated six areas, um, clean carrier and communications, um, telecommunications providers, um, verified clean apps uh, from a known clean app store, um, clean cloud, clean cable, and clean path. Um, and this is where we tie 5G and the emerging 
merging zero technology architecture together to get an enforceable and, and verifiable secure 5G experience. Um, for to be effective, we need a way of being able to enforce and verify um, that your access is only over a trusted clean network or telco carrier, um, that your access is only via a known good and verified app on a verified VPN, um, and that your apps, the, the apps that you permit um, are from a known good app store and that you can verify that access is only available from a known device that's compliant um, with your agency's security policies. And then that there's no malware present, um, that the device is in the possession of and being used by the intended user, um, and the enforcement of, uh, of that by a, a derived PIV or CAT credential, by a, using biometrics and, and behavioral biometrics. Um, and Kirsten, if we can go to the third slide. Um, and this is where an effective unified endpoint management solution like Mobile Iron can help tie in um, zero trust, strong security controls, um, and the 5G innovation together. So Joshua, do you wanna jump in with some of what's going on in DOD? Yeah, I'd be happy to, thank you. Um, so yeah, in the DOD, for those of us that have been looking at 5G for a while, we, we understand that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a transformational technology. It's not just one more G, right? It's not newer and faster cell phones. It, it really uh, kind of represents the ubiquitous connectivity of everything. Uh, it's gonna be a, a, a combination of, of human to human communication, you know, like your cell phone calls, your human to machines, and then your machine to machine. It's, it's really gonna enable uh, the, the whole ecosystem that's gonna be very much different than, than you know, how LTE was. Uh, so we also believe that uh, 5G technologies offer significant advantages to the DoD missions. Um, you know, I think uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier with uh, the ARVR for, for realistic training and threat presentation, uh, you know, smart warehouses, uh, rapid uh, data dumps uh, when, when the ships come into pier. Uh, so the DoD is looking at a lot of those uh, the applications and use cases. <coughs> um, but we also operate globally, right? And, and, and we, we understand that there's uh, no such thing as a perfectly secure uh, system or network. Uh, so I mean, if a human built it, a human can break it. Uh, so we really need to uh, embrace the, the zero trust and, and be able to operate on those networks, uh, you know, in spite of the fact that they may not be uh, perfectly um, secure. Uh, and then um, even though the DOD is, is invested pretty heavily in 5G, right? You've, you've seen the, the headlines in the paper, right? Hundreds of millions of dollars in, in R&D. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold a candle uh, to what the industry is uh, investing. Uh, we're, we're looking, some, some people are speculating it's going to be about $350 billion over the next five years. Uh, so if we really want to take advantage of everything that 5G has to offer and, and, and get further faster, uh, we really need to partner uh, with, our, with the industry. And, and uh, the DoD is doing just that. Uh, we, we, uh, engaging through through the other transactional authority with uh, uh, the National Spectrum Consortium and then with the IWRP OTA as well. Um, that there really are um, centers of gravity of, of expertise in, in all things uh, spectrum and uh, uh, use cases. It's, there's carriers, um, there's, there's uh, chip manufacturers, there's um, you know people that build the actual use cases and integrators. So. Um, the DoD is really uh, um, happy to take advantage of, of all of that. Um, <clears throat> so the, uh, the DoD's uh, program is called 5G to Next G. Uh, it's, it's deliberately named that because uh, we don't think that uh, 5G is a, you know, has a finish line. It's not an end state that we can you know, finally uh, you know, cross the line and say, well, we did it and sit back and rest on our laurels. Uh, it's you know this it's going to be a, an evolutionary changes you know from, from year on and year out and uh, we want to be uh, global leaders not only in 5g but the, also in 6g and in 7g and, and, and ongoing so um, we, uh, that is uh, why we call it 5g to next G <clears throat> uh, the program is uh, has three primary objectives uh, one is to accelerate us technology through prototyping and experimentation which some of you guys are familiar with now uh, so the DoD can serve as uh, an anchor tenant for some of the uh, advanced 5G applications and ultimately represent the higher end of the value chain. 
Um, for example, experimentation in uh, radio access networks and open interfaces uh, that can increase uh, U.S. competitiveness in global markets. Uh, the, the second uh, kind of thrust area is uh, operating through. Uh, we want to uh, employ technologies and ensure we can operate whenever and wherever we're called to do so and for as long as necessary because <clears throat> um, adversaries are going to uh, attempt to deny us the ability to communicate. So uh, resilient and reliable communications are, are imperative to our mission success. Uh, and lastly, uh, to innovate. Um, and as I was touching on before, it's not there's no end state for 5G. Uh, and we want to be able to uh, uh, prep ourselves to, to be leaders in 6G and 7G as those technologies begin to emerge. <clears throat> um, so to do that, we've got three uh, main initiatives. Uh, I mentioned the prototyping experimentation um, uh, uh, program before, uh, where we're leveraging the flexibilities of the other transaction authority. Uh, so we're working with industry and academia by engaging with those uh, OTAs. I think I mentioned it was the National Special Consortium and the Information Warfare Research Project, uh, which allows for the collaborative experiment formulation and idea sharing, uh, and then finally a series of solicitations. So uh, that kicked off uh, with an announcement from then Deputy Undersecretary of Defense uh, for Research and Engineering, Dr. Porter, at Mobile World Congress uh, back in uh, October of 2019, when we were still allowed to gather. Um, and since then, uh, five projects are, are getting underway uh, here shortly. Um, and then there's uh, another seven that were announced and they should be kicking off in the next fiscal year. Uh, one of the other, uh, the second initiative is operating through, uh, where the DoD is going to explore uh, hardware and software technologies to counter those adversarial attempts to deny or disrupt communications. Uh, so it's gonna include things that on, on the physical layers, such as uh, techniques for dynamically accessing the spectrum and also enhancing a zero trust architectures to protect against uh, attacks on the network side. Uh, lastly, uh, the Beyond 5G is uh, exploring methods to advance uh, past 5G technologies to, to next-G technologies. Uh, so far, uh, the, the notional topic areas include uh, highly directional communications to enhance uh, low probability of intercept, low probability of uh, detection uh, type uh, paradigms in the uh, mid-band. And... Uh, um, and uh, multiple security levels. So if you, if you uh, operate a network that has uh, secret and top secret and unclassified or even uh, host nation type data sharing uh, with, with our allied partners, uh, we really want to um, you know, ensure that uh, secure data stays you know, in its own lanes and, and we don't have uh, spillage. Uh, so for more information on uh, any of this, you can uh, check out uh, the website for the program, which is uh, 5g2xg.org and they'll have announcements for, for future engagement opportunities uh, and solicitations, uh, which will also be posted on sam.gov. Christian, would you like to uh, expound? Yes, if we could hear from uh, Christian Williams and Justin Morgan, our two GFA guys on the panel, um, if you guys could expand upon the national strategy to secure 5G, I think that would be really great to hear from you both. Yes, th thank you. Thank you, Kirsten. And that was some great uh, information there. Uh, if we could pull up that national strategy uh, slide, that'd be great. Okay, awesome, awesome. So I'm gonna approach this from a um, acquisition and procurement perspective um, at, at GSA. And that's where we're really plugged into the national security, uh, national strategy to secure 5G. And that's through the National Security Council's efforts to implement a government-wide action plan. And there are the four main pillars that were mentioned. Um, now from an acquisition perspective, how we're gonna facilitate the domestic uh, 5G rollout is through our um, acquisition vehicles we have at GSA. That's our multiple award schedule SIN, 517312 and EIS. Um, both uh, contracts uh, allow for mobility, wireless, and um, we feel that they are 5G ready. Uh, also, and how, and, and I guess um, what makes these 5G ready is we have modernized um, our offerings on, on our SIN. And, our, and on EIS um, to include enterprise mobility management, EMM, which allows you to have e, uh, tools and software and service capabilities to allow for um, 5G technology. Uh, we, have TIMS, we have TIMS solutions on our SIN uh, and at GSA. And also um, Internet of Things, having subcategories like that allow for us to um, bring on vendors that that can offer those that mobile sensor technology, the mobile-to-mobile -mobile convergence, digital sensors and actuators. 
So that's how we're gonna help facilitate the domestic rollout. Um, going to the second pillar from an acquisition perspective, it's all about smart acquisition here. Um, you know, uh, every agency is looking for mission essential results when it comes to um, their, 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 what they're trying to accomplish. And that's where at GSA, we can help out with that. Um, but as, as we mentioned in this panel earlier, it's about securing the technology. And with 5G, uh, we offer the mobile threat protection, M uh, MTP, which entails solutions and services that monitor mobile devices in real time and identify mobile threats. Uh, we also have mobile, also mobile app vetting, uh, mobile identity, identity management. These are all key um, uh, vetting softwares and examples of, of what is needed to uh, secure 5G in, in this pillar. Um, now, when it comes to addressing uh, risk in the United States, I'm, I'm gonna let my colleague Justin expound on that a little bit more, but it's about just the whole of government approach uh, to protecting federal systems and supply chain risk uh, through telecommunications equipment and services. Um, as you all know, you have know a lot of us have heard about section 889 that prohibits certain vendors on government networks. Um, that's part of this pillar here. And uh, the fourth pillar, uh, promoting responsible government development and deployment of 5G. I think that's a joint effort between private and, uh, and government, right? So uh, events like this that uh, ATARC's putting on today, bringing uh, private and government together is very key in, in, in doing this deployment of 5G and getting the word out there. Um, groups like the Federal Mobility Group, in, in which I'm, I'm a co-chair of, uh, as well as DHS and, and NIST, um, it, that's an interagency group that is uh, a community of practice chartered by the Federal CIO Council, and it helps address gaps in, t in technology testing and policy that, that need to be ironed out when it comes to technologies like 5G. Um, uh, partnerships with government and industry, like I said before, it, it's just critical in any uh, development and deployment of uh, 5G technology going forward. And uh, next I'll uh, pass it on to uh, Justin for some more information on, on these topics. Yeah, hey, thanks Christian and other panel members. Uh, you guys have touched on a lot of good stuff here. Uh, the only main thing I could say that is part of the national strategy, one of the big things there is uh, leading the way, the US leading the way to the 5G standards and there, there has been some, you know, security improvements made in 5G, you know, with how the signaling and, and uh, the transport, even like user identity and location are encrypted, or excuse me, encrypted natively. natively. However, um, they still have to rely on these other underlying networks. So it leads back to standards on how the, the communications are configured you know, from a central perspective. So standards is gonna be a big point of that. And, you know, supply chain's been touched on. And yeah, trying to think, uh, I think you about covered it there. So, yep, I'll turn it back over to you, Kristen. Kirsten, excuse me. Awesome, thank you guys. Thank you for those awesome slides as well. Um, so I saw we have one question come through um, from Malia West, hi Dr. West. His question is, how does ISO 2700 play into 5G since it's an international standard? Um, can any of our panelists touch on that or answer that question for Dr. West? Any thoughts? Got to think that so, one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just um, mention that. Um, so I don't think 27,000, I don't think the ISO standards have, uh, have yet um, made any policy updates or changes for 5G. Um, I'm sure that they will. Um, but as the international uh, rollout of 5G continues, um, the standards bodies will begin to include that um, into the uh, the ISO standards and some of the international frameworks. Um, but to date, I don't think there have been any proposed changes. Great, thank you. Any other panelists have anything to add to that one? All right, um, Amy Fadida asked if we can uh, share out these slides and yes, we can. It'll be recorded as well for later review. Um, Mark Norton asked, today DOD has roughly 400 uh, K 4G devices, what changes in security policy, if any, are required to transition these devices to 5G? 
Do any of our panelists want to grab that one? Well, I can start on it. Um, I think if you're using uh, the devices in the same way, uh, whether or not you're or whether you're using LTE or 5G, I think is is inconsequential for the most part. However, uh, 5G, if if implemented uh, by the carriers, has additional security protections, and those should absolutely, uh, you know, it should be a policy that those are leveraged uh, for for DoD missions or you know uh, to protect those communications, uh, you know, or take advantage of the, of those uh, capabilities. Um, I think where policy might need to change though is um, when we start deploying those types of devices in, in, in ways that they aren't currently deployed. We're starting to connect more uh, machines to each other or, or humans to machines. Uh, the ways in which we do that and the, the means by which we do that, I think are gonna need to be addressed in policy to ensure that we're doing it uh, correctly uh, and securely. Over. Yeah, so Joshua, I'll add to that. This is Kevin. <clears throat> I think you're spot on. I think that the types of devices and the use cases are going to drive some of the policies. If we look at the types of devices, you know, it's not going to be just about the human to machine uh, or human to smart device. It's going to be about machine to machine. It's going to be about devices that are in some cases not as intelligent. They don't have a full operating system. They may be as small as a sensor that uh, if properly you know, secured could be no threat, but in some cases, there are these devices that are going to have certain amounts of access, they're going to be providing telemetry, and they're not going to have the same ability for us to be able to monitor those and manage them as we do with smart devices. So these require a special level of care, uh, potentially things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to identify and trend and identify which devices are, are supposed to be doing the types of things that they should be and which ones are not being able to act very quickly to those, that's gonna be an incumbent challenge, uh, specifically as the number of devices goes from 400,000 to 40, 40, uh, you know, 4 million uh, and then beyond. Uh, it's gonna be a very significant uh, challenge to be able to identify you know, what the devices should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. So. Okay. Anyone else on the panel? Just, just to echo again that standards on how it's configured across providers in the United States and across the world is going to matter a lot as this moves forward. Yeah, I, I think one thing that uh, gets lost a lot in the conversations around the legislative side of this and the guidance that comes from the federal government, especially between Fed and international and whatever, is we have to be cautious that the legislation that we're writing and that we're mandating in this space is actually technically enforceable. Because what we do a lot of times is we have, and this is no offense to the people that are writing legislation, but we have people that are writing legislation that don't necessarily have the technical chops to know what they're writing is actually technically enforceable. And we wind up with these things where Batman couldn't make it work. So like having this, this approach of legislate, legislate, right, 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 policy, policy, policy. And then later we go back and go, hey, technologist, is this something that we can actually do? That's the problem. That's part of what continues to make this more restrictive for folks rather than more enabling. And uh, I mean, I do lots of briefings on Capitol Hill and talk with the folks that are writing legislation. And this is something that I think that people need to remember is uh, we, we can't necessarily legislate our way into better technology uh, and especially more efficient technology. We need to make sure that what we're doing, especially when we're putting laws in place and requirements and constraints and all these other things, that it is actually technically enforceable. Otherwise, we're just writing stuff on a whiteboard that eventually is gonna get wiped away anyway. Thank you guys for those perspectives. Um, another question that's come through is, how does critical safety down to the processor level fare in these applications? Any thoughts from our panelists? There, there are some requirements that are coming up now that are starting to be published and some of the vendors in the space are starting to subscribe to what we kind of call like silicon level security, where they're getting all the way down to the chips themselves. And this is very good. This is very necessary. Um, however, it's a little bit difficult. And I, I feel like I'm the, the, the lone, you know, everything sucks guy on the panel, but I mean, I'm just being real about it. But I mean, the, the thing that we have to remember is a lot of this technology has already been deployed and is already in place. So we can't just magically fix something down to the silicon level when it's already installed. We're gonna have to rip it and remove it, and put new stuff in. But there are requirements, there are vendors that are starting to subscribe to this, what, what you could call silicon or chip level security. Applications and things like that nowadays are, 
are on new systems are typically good enough that they don't get too jacked up when you're running them on these more secure uh, infrastructure pieces. But um, there is a, a legacy future state on-prem, off-prem, hybrid, non-cloud thing that we've got to consider here too. It's not just, is it silicon level security? So I'll add to some of the comments that Chase just gave. So coming from industry here at Cisco, you know, the comments that Chase described are very important. And in fact, you'll see that there's a lot of progress that's being made. The ability to identify trusted hardware, be able to identify trusted software, and be able to link those two through digital, <clears throat> excuse me, through digital certificates, and be able to ensure that those devices on, on boot are not only doing what they're supposed to do, but if they ever be misbehave after they're booted and after they're running, they would actually be able to self-identify and be able to identify themselves and be alerted into central systems. Also the ability to identify these systems as trusted and if for whatever reason one becomes replaced or becomes uh, you know, a, um, a threat issue can be identified and mitigated quickly. So these are a, a whole slew of discussion around trusted systems. I don't wanna get off into that tangent, but uh, know that there are a lot of vendors like Cisco that are focusing on this, have been focused on it for the better part of a decade we're going to see 5G as one of the uh, example points where trusted systems are going to be very important, especially with the disaggregation and the decentralization of 5G architectures. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, moving along to another question, we have uh, working group member Steve Vetter actually is asking, can the panelists give their perspectives as to the best way to roll out mission-focused 5G capabilities in the federal government? Uh, would you recommend lab investigations, focused OTA contracts, or other means to bring the most effective 5G exposure to federal agencies? Being from DOD, who's actually uh, doing this right now, uh, I'm a big proponent of OTAs. Um, if not all agencies have other transaction authority, uh, the DOD does, um, and that allows us to to acquire systems and do rapid prototyping and fielding uh, without you know going through the JSIDs or DOD 5000 processes and and, and the uh, federal acquisition regulations. So it's it's a lot quicker, a lot more flexible, um, and and really. Uh, allows for a, a more expeditious and cost-effective uh, way to uh, roll out, especially in emerging technologies uh, such as 5G. So if you have the, the, the ability, absolutely go with, uh, with, with flexible uh, contracting options like OTA, but uh, I know GSA has a number of options and that was uh, uh, a topic of discussion in, in, I believe under the Federal Mobility Group. Christian could probably expand on that a little bit more. Right, right, yes. We, we have quite a few op, um, acquisition vehicles out there from, like I said, the, uh, the SIN 517312 to EIS to Navy Spiral 3 to um, NASA Soup. There, there's a lot of acquisition vehicles out there, but like everyone touched on, um, you know, the technology's there, but then the acquisition piece, getting to that technology, which I think we're going to discuss a little bit further into the um, webinar today, but that, that's always the tough part because there's because there's a lot of standards in place, like security, there's policies, and then you want to see use cases before you implement that in your agency. So it, it is, it, it is a, it's a crawl before you can run type thing, but um, we're, we're getting there. And, and I think when we do have the acquisition vehicles in place to make that happen. Yeah, and if I can add, we have the partnerships in place with providers in the space in particular, you know, the large telecom communications providers. And uh, we talk to them quite often and um, are already talking about what, what would a service look like on a contract. And obviously we have to kick the tires on that, do a lot of investigation, use case modeling, things like that. And we're, we're already starting those processes. I'll add to, uh, to Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. That's all right, Bill. That's okay. Go ahead, finish up. Um, I was just going to say, I think as, as Chase mentioned, um, you know, we need to make sure that we identify um, the technologies that are going to meet the policies um, before we start to roll them out, right? Because otherwise we end up with investments um, that we do have to rip and replace. Um, and we see it with some of the 5G technology um, that's already in deployment um, that doesn't meet the, uh, the clean path uh, requirements um, and to uh, to replace that technology uh, is going to be a significant expense. Okay. 
I'll just add to some of the panel discussion and keep it brief because I know we will move on. But uh, I, I think that um, I appreciate the question that was asked and, and Joshua and several others had touched on it. Experimentation, I think, is very important. I think the other piece to this is trying to identify some of your business objectives up early and often uh, in this. This is somewhat intuitive. But there's a lot of excitement around 5G and realize that 5G, while it's very, I think, uh, transformative, there's a lot of capabilities in 4G and even in the 4G enhancements. Uh, for example, even the application architecture that it's all is discussed in 5G, realize that control plane and user plane separation, which is probably too deep in the weeds to get into here, that's available in 4G technology today. So being able to break up the application and be able to decentralize it and distribute it, that's something that is somewhat characteristic in 5G, but that's been available in 4G. So I would, I, I would uh, advocate the idea of looking at the business problems, the business priorities, and matching the capabilities accordingly and realize that we don't have, 5G is still nascent. I think we don't have to wait for some of the 5G. You can start today and getting some of the digital transformation and business objectives you're trying to acquire uh, sooner than you might imagine. All right, thank you. Great questions and uh, great answers. So I have a question. Uh, what are the benefits of 5G for government and what are the top 5G applications for government? And I'm going to ask if Kevin can actually start us off on that one. <laughs> So this is this is good. In fact, it ties into what I was just saying, and, and I'll be brief so that others can talk. I, I think um, this goes back to what I was saying just a moment ago. 4G was a lot about getting us connected, and it gave us a minimum level of capability. A lot of business change started to transform, but we were still, again, about 95% of the consumers of cellular technology were still you and me as private or individuals in our business. We're going to see this dramatic change over the next five years where the machines are gonna be more connected, the business processes are gonna be more connected, and that's gonna to lead to things like digital transformation. The ability to take our business, our business objectives, our missions to a new level. And I think there's gonna be a, a lot of uh, talk about how I can focus on my users and my applications and be less focused on the technology as well. So use those as, uh, you know, what are the benefits there? Uh, I would focus more on what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, again, Joshua's going to maybe smile at this because uh, I've been focusing a lot on the DOD uh, 5G OTAs, but there's a lot of enthusiasm about being able to take things that have been problems in these industries, not to pick on DOD specifically, but things that have been uh, you know, a challenge for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years on being able to move uh, at the speed of machines, move, uh, make better decisions, uh, and that's going to be a big benefit as we go forward. If the technology is embraced, being able to move faster, make better decisions, and uh, you know, do a better mission. Does that make sense? I think information at the speed of relevance is often uh, the phrase that's used. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. And then could we go to Chase next, please? I mean, one thing that definitely seems to be coming on is all the stuff going on around uh, the, the speed of, of data that's being used and the fact that we're generating so much more. And now in the government space, there's there's been a lot of realization of, oh, there's really interesting things that we can do with said data that could maybe optimize a service. They could do something for an agency or something like that. So where we're, I think where we're going to see this sort of tie together in the future is as more of these uh, frontline sort of organizations and agencies that are doing work in the field, be they military or FBI or you know whoever, um, they're going to be looking to get more better faster, and more better faster is going to come through these solution sets that are enabling more remote work, more transitory type of data access. So that's where we're going to wind up, I think, seeing a lot of this uh, speed speed to, to market kind of coming in the federal space. Great. Thank you. Uh, Bill, do you have any thoughts on that benefits of 5G for government and top 5G applications for government? So I think the top five applications, they're not applications as we think of uh, apps, but, but really do come back to, um, to what Chase and others have said, right? So I think it's, um, it's going to be around artificial intelligence and the speed of analysis of data. Uh, it's going to be around uh, the advantages in healthcare um, and the ability to uh, to leverage 5G in, in uh, um, benefiting healthcare. Um, 
public safety, um, and then um, uh, IoT. Um, and I think the, the things like um, enhanced reality um, and, uh, and even autonomous vehicles, um, those are some of the cool things that we talk about. Um, but I think from a government perspective, um, a lot of what we're really looking at is how do we improve communications um, at, at a relatively uh, close scale um, where 5G is going to come into play. Thank you. And Christian, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, um, just echoing every, what everyone else has said. But um, just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it from an acquisition perspective because that's what I do at GSA. But uh, 5G for government, uh, you know, we're looking at just the strategy of just bringing that technology, like I mentioned before, and acquisition, that technology that's out there, it's everybody wants it. Everybody thinks they need it but how do you acquire it? And that's where we come in and we're trying to bridge those gaps because you know we have the standards, we have the security, the policies and the use cases that are the gaps that are in there in order to acquire that for your agency. So um, that's what we're trying to do at GSA. And, and um, I think uh, once again, like I mentioned before, just these private, par these private public partnerships like uh, what ATART does to bring us together um, and, and having these type of webinars, it's just, it's just essential in that. And, and getting um, you know 5G, getting the government 5G ready. Do any of our uh, other panelists want to contribute anything before we move on to the next question? Yeah, sure. So a couple things. So I think what 5G promises with with the ubiquitous connectivity of everything is really going to allow us to start moving uh, data around a lot faster, right? Uh, like sensor data, uh, leveraging more of that. Uh, which really is going to play into the advancements in AI and machine learning. Just having that data available and having it available quickly, uh, and and the implications for that are are huge and for for multiple agencies, not just DoD. Um, uh, and then this this might be a couple couple orders or layers removed, but um, another benefit to the government for is for funding, you know, research and development, experimentation, and prototyping uh, in five G or, or any other kind of emerging technology space is it uh, really it builds up our tech industry base uh, and, and allows those companies to prosper. So if you, if you think back to when LTE started becoming a thing, uh, you know, your, your Netflixes and your Ubers and your, uh, your Facebooks and everything that thrives on mobile data really took off and those are all American companies. Uh, and I think the 5G represents, you know, perhaps even larger economic opportunity um, for for uh, being global leaders in the technology space, and and if we can if we master it before you know other places in the world, then we get to to reap those economic benefits. And, and having a, a robust economy means I get a robust uh, DoD budget, which translates into more R and D. So uh, selfishly, I'd like to see you know our, our tech base uh, prosper. Great, thank you. So I'm gonna jump into another question, which is what are the lessons learned and challenges that need to overcome when deploying 5G? Um, Justin, do you mind answering that one for us first? Yeah, sure, find my mute button here. Uh, you know, like some of the other panelists have said, uh, many more devices, many more things on the network, this is gonna to lead to additional privacy and data security concerns. Um, that's going to be a first and foremost that folks need to look at. Now, one of the good things, I guess, is that if you have a current remote access NAC solution and even a zero trust type deployment, 5G is just another transport. It's really, you know, an encrypted end-to-end -end authorized connection. So you're not going to lose anything there. But when you start talking about sensors and different appliances and cameras and things like that, they can't go through that full interrogation because they don't necessarily have like a I'll just say full-blown identity, uh, it becomes more challenging and it, privacy and data security become more concerned. Um, and I mentioned earlier, but the 5G does encrypt the, the signaling, the data transport, which also includes the identity and your location natively. But unless you stay on a 5G network that's completely configured that way, you know, again, it gets back to standards, you're going to come into the clear a little bit. But again, if you're using like a a TLS connection or something like that where, you know, it's end to end, even if it's self-signed even better because it's hard to spoof those things, but it's, uh, you, you, you're you still gonna remain relatively secure. But um, one of the other big things I think that 
we're overlooking here is we're talking so much about the wireless side of this. There's a wired side of this component once it leaves the wired, excuse me, the wireless device and makes it to the provider network. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of infrastructure changes and updates that are going to be needed to obtain those speeds for 5G. You know, yeah, you can get it over the, the wireless network if it's completely end to end, but once you hit that provider edge and offload to say a cloud service provider that's at their edge or a, uh, the internet, you're at the mercy of their internal network speeds. So, you, you know, providers are racing now, <laughs> I'm assuming and have heard, to update their infrastructure primarily at the edge. And what the edge is going to get you more is that support for the autonomous vehicles and the, you know, the drones and the surveillance and all that, you know, real time versus, uh, you know, because that stuff is totally sensitive and reliant on a very quick connection. And if you have any point in the connection where it's not going to get that full speed, you may take a bump. Of course, there's things built in the apps that'll, you know, help that out. But uh, to me, one of the challenges, you know, especially from the service provider perspective, is that backend network to get connected to the CSPs, to get connected to the internet so that the IoT device, the mobile endpoint, the whatever can get to the data fast and, and in that secure manner. If you're hopping all these networks that um, aren't say standardized or all the way through, you know, you, you could lose some of that experience. That's one of the big challenges. Um, the other thing, and, and I wanted to mention this back, you know, jump back a question, but one of the benefits, um, you know, so at GSA, we're, we're working with providers and trying to come up with uh, this kind of cut the cord use case, you know, get these buildings out of these wired infrastructures uh, within all these federal buildings and get more to a, a Wi-Fi or potentially, you know, wireless. And yes, you can do this with 4G now, but um, once 5G is, is more ubiquitous, uh, that cutting the cord becomes more you know, capable as a as an end-to-end solution for, for, for users. So we're already talking to our um, building management arm of GSA on a network as a service type uh, service for managed GS, GSA managed buildings and, and what that might look like. And the wireless perspective, especially when you're talking about cost and a monthly cost, getting rid of the wiring and all that gear in the closets and going to more like a wireless it's um, it makes it more attractive to be potentially more a network as a service that you could actually do as a monthly expense that you could either roll into rent or do something like that. So those are some of the things that I guess, you know, my group's working on in particular with, with some of the service providers. But yeah, I, I always think about, you know, we talk about, oh, 5G, you know, 100 times faster or whatever the heck it is. You know, it's once you hit that border of the infrastructure, you're at the mercy of that speed. That's it. So anyway, um, those are my thoughts. Thanks. Great, thank you. Um, Chase, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty uh, succinct point to make is that people forget that the, the 5G ferry is not gonna just fly around and make everything 5G overnight and you know rainbows and puppies will fall from the sky. Like there, there is core infrastructure behind this stuff and it, it bottlenecks. You, know, you, can, you can push so much water through a creek but eventually it's got to go somewhere. Like the upstream side of this is a problem that has not necessarily been totally solved yet. Uh, and it's great that we're doing more, better, faster. However, um, we do have an issue with a lot of the upstream providers. And then there's the, the other side too of, well, we're going to probably move into a world, if you remember like 10 years ago, where it was like AT&T and I believe at the, end, the time like MCI were kind of the only two that could handle all that heft and everything went through them, whether you liked it or not we're gonna probably wind up moving sort of into a world where that's gonna be another issue. So then do we run into the problem of, uh, you know, antitrust and blah, blah, blah. Do we have to break up the big carriers, providers again? So I, I think that we're, uh, you know, we're in for a bit of a bumpy ride as this continues to go forward. And faster is great, faster is super, but you know, there are bumps along the way. If you're, if you're going 700 miles an hour in a rocket car, a small bump is enough to cause a really bad day. Thanks, Chase. Um, Kevin McFadden, how about you? So lessons learned. I think we're still early in this process to really have a lot of anecdotal lessons learned. I think one of the things that we hear, we see at Cisco is a strong need to reduce the gap between the cellular technology and the enterprise. 
So when we talk about that, that's really in this concept of a heterogeneous network. And really that goes back to some things I've said throughout the discussion, and I think some of the colleagues, is um, picking the right wireless technology for the right use case. I heard somebody say Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6. Realizing that these technologies are all kind of coming together and converging to give us a, uh, a utility, I think is really important. I think one of the other things that we want to do is make sure that as we go from one technology to the other, that we don't lose granularity. We don't lose things like policy enforcement or sacrifice security. So part of that is driving this concept called an intent-based network in the enterprise space. That's being able to identify who you are, what your intent is, who your colleagues, who your applications are. And so you get this virtual segmentation, micro-segmentation sometimes referred to, so that we know uh, from a zero trust perspective what you're supposed to be doing, what your implicit and non-implicit or allowed capabilities are. In fact, in the sense of zero trust, there is no implicit trust. Everything is granted based on a need uh, basis. And so that should not be sacrificed as we go into the 5G world. Uh, part of that's gonna be a need for seeing identity management systems that can traverse that void between enterprise and service provider. And I think we also need to consider that there's gonna be a potential large opportunity for private 5G cellular in this. I don't think we've talked at all on this call about private 5G. But uh, there's a, a, long, a large opportunity to be able to see those three sort of legs come together and provide a ubiquitous capability. Uh, so those are some, some things that uh, we're looking at here. And part of that's going to be open standards, open systems, and open APIs that allow us to communicate things like identity, policy, trust. Uh, and so that as I transition from one to the other, I don't sacrifice security and um, I gain, gain this ability to know who you are, what you're doing, and what you should be doing as I go through uh, the various infrastructure. Does that make sense? Awesome, yes, thank you. And um, Joshua Weaver, lessons learned, challenges? Yeah, a couple. So I'll just, just amplify Kevin there. I think, I think some of those things you talked about right there at the end are gonna be imperative to make this network slicing concept work. Uh, we were talking about roaming from exactly. carrier to carrier. You're gonna have to have a way to exchange that kind of information. Uh, so it can't be a, a closed off uh, interface. Um, but I guess, so yeah, we're, we're new in, at 5G, um, but some lessons learned back from when I, when I did real work, putting communications uh, systems out on uh, DoD training ranges. Uh, when, you, when you're planning to deploy a new network, you, you mean, engage your stakeholders, you know, early and often and, and make sure that you're, you're finding out the speed bumps and all the gotchas ahead of time because that uh you know for example on, on dod ranges when i go put a network right you got to put towers up and, and, and hang the antennas but that's really hard to do when there's a live fire training exercise going on or uh it's it's in a site that's on top of a mountain that doesn't have roads to get to you've got to arrange helicopter services and there's all those like details that can that can slow you down and if, if if you're not careful and, and somebody just has a bag of money and says i want 5g uh there, there's some some planning that you can do to kind of ease that uh, and then even, you know, your, your agency's policies. Um, so again, DOD, just because of my, my, my scar tissue and experience, uh, you know, anytime you turn on a new network uh, within the DOD, you, you can't be done uh, without an authority to operate. And it's typically a pretty arduous process to go through and do that, especially if you've never, never obtained one before. Uh, so understanding what, what uh, your agency's requirements are for actually turning on and using a new network uh, upfront and then making sure that it's architected in a way to, to meet those requirements is kind of do numbers for uh, successfully uh, you know, transitioning to a new you know, network. Over. Thank you. Are there any other panelists you want to add to that? All right. Well, we only have a couple more minutes left, so maybe we can do just like a quick lightning round takeaways. Just one thing that we want the audience to leave uh, this webinar with, um, starting with Bill Harrod, please. Sure. Thanks. So um, appreciate everybody uh, on the uh, on the panel today. I think it's been uh, a lot of good information. Um, and I think much of what has been said um, is is really critical. So understanding the microservices, how we're going to secure them, um, authenticate, authorize, um, and provide consistent enforcement of those uh, security controls um, across the network, from the, uh, from the mobile device, across the, the 5G network, um, and then across the enterprise. Um, and being able to, to implement that zero trust uh, architecture 
um, even at the microservices level. So uh, I think those are all things that uh, that are important. And then um, uh, some of the initiatives from the national strategy, um, from Department of State and Commerce, um, and of course, much of what DOD is implementing. Thank you, Christian. Yes, um, I just want to thank everyone. Um, panel's been great, uh, and ATARC for this opportunity. Um, I would just like to say, uh, just echoing what um, everyone said today, it's just the technology is growing rapidly, right? It's growing fast. There's a, there's a lot of things happening, um, but we just have to make sure we're keeping up with the security and the standards and the policy because we, we, have to, we have to make sure we're aligned in order to acquire that. I mean, it, it's out there, but how do we acquire it? Well, there's a lot of gaps in the road. So we're, we're just, just these type of uh, groups, these type of webinars, these uh, groups like uh, ATARC, um, ACT-IACT, um, Federal Mobility Group, just, uh, just that private, that private uh, public partnership is just key. And um, just bridging those gaps and, and, and making this, um, this uh, 5G evolution a reality in government. Thank you, Christian. Chase? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, everybody said everything that I think we kind of need to say. Uh, I, I just stand by the position that um, we're in a space where, we, just like we were with the internet 20 years ago, we're looking at something that can do a lot of really good things. So the applications are broad, the benefits are huge. Um, however, we should learn from those prior stumbles and we should also start to really take our time and be uh, not let the, the dollar, you know, dollar, dollar bills kind of drive this. Rather, let's like figure out the right way to go about it. Um, I think it's great that we have government orgs that are starting to plan uh, how we should bring this in and, you know, putting contract vehicles in place. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, uh, there needs to be a concerted effort around um, policy aligning with technology requirements and capabilities rather than the two kind of running orthogonal to each other. Uh, so, I mean, we're, there's hope. Um, not, not everything is doom and gloom. However, uh, we should definitely have learned our lessons from how not to do things. Thank you. And Kevin? Ah, so formulating my thoughts here at the last minute. This has been a great. Uh, thank you, Kirsten, and thanks to the rest of the panel. Uh, great conversation. Um, I think uh, parting thoughts, I think we touched on this a bit. There's a lot of excitement around 5G, and I, I, I'd actually go so far as to say hype. I think uh, taking a look back at your business challenges, what you're trying to solve for, and sort of demystify. 5G is not a great departure from where we were. There's a lot of great innovation, a lot of things that are, are coming about, but I, I think taking a, a good uh, sober look at some of the things that you're trying to solve for, I think even today as we start to begin this journey, we're still in an early stage of it. I mean, truth be told, 5G is still on a release schedule of the next three to five years, and so uh, I think there's going to be a great opportunity to see things like digital transformation, a lot of business process reengineering, and uh, looking forward to seeing some of that. One other thing I might mention, you know, uh, one of the, the um, sort of lessons learned that we've started to look at, particularly driven out of some of the DOD engagements, is how can we do this from a U.S.-based standpoint and be able to uh, deliver some of the clean path? There's a lot of great partners, a lot of great uh, manufacturers here in the United States that are allowing us to put these things together in a way that they can meet some of the requirements for the government and for public uh, uh, government from from the uh, state and local all the way up through the federal government. And I think we uh, should uh, venture towards that as much as we can as we go to this. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks so much. Joshua? Uh, yeah, thanks to, to my colleagues here. This has been a, a pretty interesting uh, panel discussion today. Uh, I guess parting ways, I mean, it, the, the, the DOD is very interested in, in this, uh, you know, public-private partnership that uh, Christian touched on a little bit. Um, so. 5g to xg.org, uh, check it out, get involved with the consortiums. Uh, having this OTA allows us to, to host industry days and webinars to, to tell industry kind of what we're thinking and, and things we'd like to explore. And then industry gets to um, come back to us because we, we, the OTA means we already have a contractual relationship with, with the consortium so they can come back to us and, and really uh, share with us what the art of the possible is. And that will help us kind of frame our experimentation and prototyping uh, and, and be able to, to steer in a way that is practical, that we, we know is possible, um, but also, you know, be able to, to push beyond that and, and you know, uh, advance the technology as, as, as rapidly as we can. Um, so, yeah, 
get involved. We'd, we'd love to work with you. Thank you. And lastly, Justin Morgan. Yay. I, I don't really have anything real awesome to add. A lot of people have said a lot of cool things. But uh, no, I would say for the, the federal folks and the service providers still on the line, please talk to each other. Um, and as mentioned before, use case is important. And as Kevin said earlier, a lot of this can be done with LTE now. But it's uh, the your, the use case of how you want to use 5G needs to needs to be there. And it's not just, uh, you know, handheld devices or, or, you know, so I think folks need to look at it more than just their personal cell phone or something like that. Or, but uh, other than that, yeah, just um, have conversations with your service provider, particularly if you have those IoT type use cases. But um, yeah, that, that's really all I have to add. Thanks, Kirsten and panel. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, so Lastly, I just want to say if uh, you'd like to be a part of the 5G project team at ATARC, please be sure to reach out to me or through ATARC.org for more information. We meet every Thursday at 11.45 um, a.m. Eastern time. And thank you guys for joining us. Thank you to our panelists. And this will be recorded and shared out so you can uh, share it with anyone who wasn't able to view it live. So appreciate it. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you, Kirsten. Kirsten. Thank you, everyone. Bye.